Hello friends, welcome to the After Hours Lounge, welcome back if you're a regular listener. My name is Sandy, I am your host, and I am absolutely buzzing with uh, this week's episode. Um, joining me this week in the lounge is James Dyer. James uh, is the digital editor for Empire Magazine, uh, the world's biggest film magazine and my favourite magazine. I've been collecting it since I was about 12 years old. Um, James is also the host or one of the hosts of the Empire Film Podcast and the Pilot TV Podcast, two podcasts under the the Empire name. Uh, One about films, one about TV, obviously. Um, I've been listening to these podcasts for a while and as I said at the start of the chat with James, um, it was actually the podcast that kind of I didn't actually tell him this, but it was the podcast that inspired me to start a podcast. I knew I wanted to do something in mental health, and then I recently found podcasts and started listening to them, and and it was the Empire Film Podcast that I started listening to. Um, So this was an absolute joy uh, to get a man that's frankly, weirdly enough, uh, I listen to every week um, at least once uh, to suddenly be be chatting to him on the podcast. Yeah, it was in a weird way almost a bit starstruck, Um, but James is a very gracious person uh, and just made me feel really comfortable um, and we had a we had a great chat something that actually came up that I didn't actually know about James is that he has ADHD um, and that ended up being a real cornerstone of this conversation um, so how 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 it works how he operates his job um, as a, a film journalist with ADHD um, why having his passion and his job is so amazing how you know he basically went into the job he said about 20 years ago and he stayed in it his whole time he got his dream job kind of straight away at 24 years old which is awesome and something that i'm sure we can all aspire to um we talked about imposter syndrome uh, and how it kind of never goes away and how in some ways it's kind of a good thing um we talked about the power of escapism why we fall into loving um going to these other worlds on screen and why james falls in goes into the narrative and knows all the characters but not necessarily the actors Um, why kind of TV and film can resonate with us, lifting our mood and making us feel better about what may be going on in in our own lives. Um, I told James about my own personal um, experience with with Thor in Avengers Endgame. Something you wouldn't necessarily think of, but, you know, it's on the biggest stage in the world, essentially, a Marvel movie. And um, he's, you know, Thor is essentially going through a mental health crisis and one not far off how I was feeling you know the whole self-worth thing and am I worthy and will he be able to hold his hammer again and we talked about that and, and how that really rang true with me and I imagine with a lot of people and and the power of tv and film to do that for people and people to feel um I suppose represented on screen um this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time I know those of you listening regular listeners will know like I'm I'm big into my film and tv it's been it's been a real passion of mine since I was a kid probably been the thing i've loved the longest sure you know windsurfing jiu-jitsu all all that sort of stuff um but but film and tv have have been there for the longest time and i'm still absolutely fanatical about it i still seek out new films and and tv to watch all the time and you know i'm perhaps a critic to to just myself i don't really i don't write it i don't put it out there but you know i love talking about it so this was an absolute pleasure um even if you don't like necessarily watching film and tv that much i still recommend you listen to this um james is obviously a very experienced podcaster and just a great person to to listen to um so i hope you guys enjoy it um and yeah on with the episode Uh, James Dyer, welcome to the After Hours Lounge. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've been I've been chasing you for a while, so this is very much a golden goose situation. Um, <laughs> I, I've started doing, or in, in the last few episodes, I've started doing it, and it was kind of born out of a previous podcast I did, and we were talking about the fact that men these days in particular, they 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 interact with each other by basically giving each other shit. Um, yes. And there's there's never actually compliments being paid towards each other. So I'm now going to pay you a really um, probably uncomfortable compliment to get the get the podcast started. Um, and that is you and the, the rest of the Empire team probably don't realize how much effect you have on people. But um, I discovered podcasts in 2018, end of 2018. And it was the, the lowest moment of my life. And I still remember um, walking on the beach. I was listening to the Aquaman spoiler special, so perhaps not the best film to talk about, but you not know, a great start, but not a great yeah, start, but, but none, nonetheless, you know, I've been to see it. I thought it was a bit of fun and, 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 and listening to it. Um, 
the the level of like holy shit i felt these guys like think and talk about this stuff that i love exactly like me and at the time i had my friends from school and we talked about this kind of stuff but my my friends you can see the surfboards behind me i'm very into that, that sort of lifestyle and i was like they don't necessarily go hand in hand um and yeah all i'll say is the, the podcast you guys put out have enormously helped me in the last two or three years um and i i came to see you guys live in brighton as well uh, I was actually late. Oh, yes. I was I was the one that was Were late. You? I'm actually on Could the. Could we podcast. call you out? I, yeah, Chris <laughs> called me out. Yeah, I, I'm actually on the. I, I remember showing it to my girlfriend. I was like, "Guys, I'm on the podcast." Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's the uncomfortable compliment that I wanted to pay to you, and I'm trying to do it to every 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 guest now because I think we men especially need to do it more. We need to say nice things to each other a bit more. Absolutely, I I agree. Well, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that it. Uh, I'm glad that it helped you. I think it helped. Uh, a lot of us, uh, especially during lockdown, which I'm sure we'll get onto, that's kind of a subject you can't really avoid when you talk about mental health. Uh, mm. But uh, I think it helped a lot of people listening to us on the podcast, and it certainly helped us doing it. I think there's something about podcasts more than any other medium, actually, which kind of taps into something. Like, it's, it's there's a closeness to it. There's an emotional connection, I think, you have to podcasters that you don't have to actors on a screen or even people who write things that you're reading. I, I don't, And like I said, I don't quite know what it is. Maybe it's, it's just very in your ears. It's very intimate. Uh, or maybe it's just the informal format for a lot of these podcasts. But I certainly find that, you know, uh, I, I get very attached to the people who speak to me in podcasts in a way I don't through other mediums and i think people people who were feeling very isolated people who were feeling very lonely during lockdown which was let's be honest all of us uh i think it was a big help and we thought that people would stop listening to the podcast during lockdown because we thought well no one's commuting no one's going anywhere and most people listen to podcasts when they're on a move uh and if you're not on the move at all are you going to listen to it and it turned out that they did because they just no one was talking to anyone no one was mm. seeing anyone and they just wanted to connect with someone and podcasts i guess provided a conduit for that which was which was lovely yeah absolutely i mean you know going back to you know what i just said there like I wasn't necessarily going anywhere when I was walking along the beach. It kind of just felt like having some company. And I imagine, you know, mm -hmm. get, getting onto the, the COVID stuff straight away, you know, we were all allowed to go for one walk a day. And and let's face it, you spend, you know, people, I was fortunate enough, I, I was in Scotland with my mum, but it was still, you know, just the two of us. So, and I imagine there was a lot of people out there that were by themselves. And it it was an odd kind of only piece of human contact you might get, whether it's, and, and especially if it was talking about something uh, you know, joyful or something that you're interested in, you know, for example, I know, and, and again, without being a super fan too much, I remember you, you guys putting out the stuff about the Mandalorian around that time. Yeah. And I knew that every week, every Monday, I was like, nah, I'm going for a walk by myself today. You take yourself for a walk, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, I need, I, it, it was like an hour of every week that I was like, yes, you know, and I was, I was excited about it. So it, yeah, it, I think there is a familiarity. I think there's a relatability to it as well. It's quite hard to relate to, a-list movie stars or famous mm. people on TV and, and and things like that. Whereas from from my experience, as I said, listening to to you guys, you know, talk about movies and TV shows and things like that, I'm like, that's what I thought when I left the cinema as well, <laughs> you know. And and I've even I've been lucky enough for people to have said that about um about this podcast that I do. You know, people have said it. It feels like I'm just sitting in the living room with the two of you guys talking, or you know, things like that. So it's it, it mm. is yeah, there is something interesting to it, and I, I perhaps haven't actually thought about it until until you said it like that. Um, obviously, I'm fami very familiar with with you and, and and what you do and everything like that. But can you just give us um, a quick kind of what what you do? And and I'm really interested as well is is how how you actually got into it. I know you've been doing it for a while, but yeah, how how did it all happen? It's, uh, a while would be an understatement. Uh, yes, so I am. I have a, a kind of meaningless job. My job title is digital. Hang on, what is it? Editor in chief brackets digital at Empire Magazine. Uh, but but what? Like, I mean, I'm not sure how much that actually overlaps with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so I obviously I've worked at Empire Magazine since 2000, which is over now 22 years, which is insanity. Um, and I work across the print mag, I work across the website. Obviously, podcasts are a part of that. Uh, I have my fingers and I make great many pies, uh, which helps me a lot because I made ADHD. So I kind of I need lots of different things to stimulate me at all oh, times. Okay. Uh, I get bored very, very easily. So I like to be doing different things all the time. Right. This is boring me. Let's move on to something else. Let's do something else here. And this, oh, excitement, dopamine. Give me all the dopamine now. <laughs> uh, so that's quite that's quite useful for me. Um, my love actually uh, has over the past few years very much been the podcast. Chris Hewitt will say very much the same thing, mm. I think. Um, and I think this started this started suddenly before lockdown. But I think during lockdown, I and mean, we've touched on this a little bit, but 
it it's not just listening to it, like doing the podcast for me got me through the pandemic and i think that's true for chris it's true for helen as well like we were all very isolated we didn't see anyone and what the best thing about working at empire i've worked there 22 years there's a reason for that and it's not just because it's the world's biggest and best movie magazine it's also because i love the people that work there and everyone who works there has been there for decades as well yeah and we're like a little family and we love each other and we hang out and you know how like in offices you'll have like some people get on some people won't mm. And I, and I, I you know, I, I can't speak to normal jobs because I've only had a couple of them <laughs> in my life. But, you know, my my feeling generally is your close friends are not generally the people you work with. They're normally mm. your friends outside of work. But when you have a group of people who are unified by a single <clears> passion point, you know, in this case, film, TV, you know, that kind of thing. When we, when we all love the same thing, we naturally gravitate mm. towards each other and we naturally get on and we chat all the time about this stuff. So the reason the Empire podcast started back in 2012 was because we would have these conversations all day every day and someone was like you should record this it's hilarious yeah and we were like all right well let's do that and that's literally what the podcast was it was just the office banter but just on a podcast yeah it's slightly more structured now though i emphasize slightly um and that's what it was and i think we missed that so much when we were separated during the pandemic mm. and the podcast gave us the ability to multiple times a week get together and do what we'd always done so we would do the empire podcast you know i do the pilot tv podcast and then we'd have the mandalorian spoiler specials and whatever other spoiler specials we could come up with and we do you know any excuse we could come up with to jump on the podcast and just chat with each other mm. you know it was it was amazing and mm. it kept us sane and i think you know, a lot of people did stuff during lockdown, like oh, those awful Zoom quizzes people did, all those virtual drink sessions, and all these things were cringe. And they were awful. But those podcasts, because they were kind of work, you know, they were focused, they were specific, and yet they were so much fun. And I just honestly, I think I would have gone slightly mad without those as an escape, as, as a kind of like a pressure valve. Mm. Uh, to do multiple times a week. But you did ask a question. Sorry, I have a tendency to ramble and go off topic. That is very much <laughs> my thing. Um, but I, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so Empire, uh, I started in 2000. Uh, I was a website designer in 1999, having uh, graduated from university with a theology degree. Obviously, very useful, practical qualification that. Um, didn't like web design, did a postgrad, just a three month postgrad course in periodical journalism at the London College of Printing after I decided I quite wanted to be a writer. Mm. Uh, and then literally Empire was the first job I got. It's the only place oh, I ever man. wanted to work. And it is literally the first job I got. And I was like, okay, so I'm 24 and I'm now here. <laughs> what happens now? I'm like, what do I do? Like, this is it. I'm there. I'm finished. I'm stuck. I'm this. I'm never leaving. And that was it. And I never have. And that's basically it. That's, <laughs> that's so. Um, that's such a wonderful thing for for people to hear, you know, people listening that are perhaps coming out of uni or at uni and wondering, you know, especially the current bin fire that we find ourselves in of a country. And yeah. am I ever going to get the job I want and stuff? That's that's quite a wonderful story there. And I think it's immediately led by passion, which is the most important mm. thing. It's not led by I want to try and make some money or I want to try and do this so I don't have to work much. It's led by I, this is what I love doing and how do I turn it into a job? Um, and like you said, through through that, and and I found this as well with um, you know, very different journey. But I did it with with water sports. I went and became a windsurfing instructor when I was eighteen, and went and traveled around the world. And all of my best friends that I worked with on those seasons, and we all worked together as windsurfing instructors. We're still all best friends. We meet up in London all the time. We still all go to Greece every summer together because, like you said, we we have that shared thing, and we may not have crossed paths otherwise. You know, yeah. but the, but the fact that there was just this one thing that brought us together, um, and I think it's important. I think it's very important in life to to seek those people out and don't be mm. afraid to engage with them. Whether it's an Instagram account you follow or a, a podcaster you listen to, or even just some guys you hear down in the pub occasionally talking about a show you love. You know, uh, generally you you'll get a far warmer reception than you think you will. Um, yeah, and it's, no, yeah, I agree. It, it's it's always hard. Um, funny story, just a quick aside. I know you love tangents. So I'll go on one as well. Um, <laughs> I bought I bought my first. Well, my mum bought me my first Empire magazine in two thousand and two, uh, and it had Attack of the Clones on the cover, and I was obsessed with Star Wars. Still am, but um, I got that, and I thought it was a Star Wars magazine because it was called Empire. So it, to me, I was like, oh cool. And then I read it, and there was about eight pages of Star Wars, and I was like, what the fuck is this? 
Yeah, I was yeah. like, "What is this?" And then, and then I slowly started reading a bit more, and I was like, "Oh, that looks like a cool film." And then, and 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 I've, I think I've had nearly every issue ever since. So yeah, that's a you're funny. Not the first one to make that mistake. If you look behind me on my wall, you'll probably see there's a poster for Rogue One uh, behind me. It's not because I love the film particularly. It's just because mm-hmm. on the US uh, DVD and Blu-ray box of Rogue One, it just says "Triumphant James Dyer Empire." <laughs> And that's the only quote on the box, literally, is me. And it kind of blew my mind. And I genuinely think the only reason they picked it is because it's Empire. Like it just says Empire. <laughs> it just seems inherently funny to have James Dyer Empire. This is Triumph. I thought Triumph. that was funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I genuinely think that's why they picked him. Yeah. I, did. I mean, it, it does make sense. Um, just going back to it, I, and it's it's not something that I've, I've ever heard you mention before. You say you've got um, ADHD and stuff like that, and you, you find it hard to focus. I'm quite interested yes. to. Because there's there's a little bit of a juxtaposition there with doing that and sitting for hours on end and watching something. Um, do you? I, I know you're a famously quite um, <laughs> divisive, not divisive, but you like what you like and you hate what you hate. Um, sure. How, how how have you gone about? Especially as a critic, it's your job to watch stuff. You know, how, yes. how do you how do you go about balancing? As long as you're happy to talk about it, how do you go about balancing that with your with with your role? Well, a common misconception with ADHD is that it's an inability to focus. It's selective focus rather yeah. than an inability, than an inability to focus. And it, that that selection is normally interest. There are a few things that focus ADHD, but interest is the primary one. If you can be interested in what you're doing, you can focus. In fact, if you hyper focus, you can do it better than most people. But you ha- it has to be driven by interest. So I am very much a person who I needed a job that fundamentally interested me, yeah. or it's like actual physical pain it's like actual torture i just can't do it so you know i found a job that was my hobby which is useful so i'm very happy to sit and watch films because they interest me uh, and and i enjoy doing it so i have no problem focusing on those where i run into difficulty is when i'm doing something that bores me so we have a general thing in the office with meetings whereby um well, well, you know, if I'm in any, any kind of meeting, everyone knows me very well. I've been there for a very long time. I'm very much like, if you want my attention, say my name first because I'm not listening. Like, wow. that's just the default. I'm just not listening. You just need to assume I'm not listening in any meeting. And it's not because nine times out of 10 meetings are quite dull and my attention will wander quite quickly. So if people begin the meeting and it's going well, they'll probably have me for a few minutes, maybe five minutes, and then I will start to zone out. Mm. And then from that point on, it's very much like I'm a dog. Like, hello, here, boy, here, boy. Pay attention. And I'm, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. And then ask me the question. Because otherwise, if someone says, blah, 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 James, I'd be like, hmm? no idea. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, don't know, mate. Uh, wasn't listening. Can't <laughs> do it. And I was like this all the way through school and indeed university as well, where I learned nothing in that kind of Socratic, you know, lecture lesson format, because I just used to go in, open my book and then begin daydreaming for however long <laughs> the lesson was, because I just wasn't, I, I wasn't interested. So I wasn't able to focus so at university i used to go to the library when i had an essay and i'd just learn it from books i'd just teach it to myself and then i'd write the essays and at school i would just when exam time came i would just get again the textbooks and i'd learn it and i'd revise that way because i just wasn't learning from the actual lessons so i think with all of these things whenever you kind of have any kind of neurodivergence you have to find ways of mm. your coping mechanisms you've got to find a way of working with it this is how your brain works you're stuck with it you can't have another brain so you just find your way through it and that's kind of what i'd done and i think doing the job that i do makes that a lot easier were i to do a quote-unquote normal job Mm. i think i'd struggle i genuinely think i'd struggle a lot because if i didn't find it interesting i'm not sure i'd be able to do it so yeah yeah i think the coping mechanisms is a big thing I, i talk about it a lot on the podcast in terms of me and um my kind of uh anxiety and and things like that even um it, it's something as simple i, I talked about it uh, a, cu- a couple of episodes ago i was talking about uh the best thing i bought last year was i bought a pair of uh airpod pros with the noise cancellation yeah. and oh, and the minute it. yeah the, the minute now I, I and i carry them with me everywhere everywhere like regardless of whether i'm yeah um because if i start to feel anxious nervous anything like that i just put them in and there's that wonderful like <laughs> <laughs> and everything just stops. And, and yep. sometimes, like, you, you, yeah, usually I put Howard Shaw on, but half the time I don't even, I, I might not even put anything on, but it's just, mm. I just get a minute to just like recenter myself and do it. And, but it, it took me a while to, to get to that point of figuring out. And I think the first bit was awareness. So it sounds like you kind of got that awareness quite quickly. When, when did you get, um, were you like diagnosed as a kid or anything? Were you aware of it when you were growing up? 
No, I actually wasn't. And I think part of that was it wasn't really understood when I was at school. That's not so people right. didn't know what it was and people did bandy the term around, but it was mainly, it was the hyperactive part they focus on. Because obviously the way people used to see is hyperactivity or ADHD was mainly seen as the domain of young, you know, slightly criminal, you know, attention seeking children running around, boys mainly running around screaming, yeah. smashing things, just misbehaving. Whereas it's not that. And it presents differently uh, in males than it does in females generally, you know, but also you can have pr uh, primary uh, attention deficit, primary hyperactive or combination ADHD. So you can have different types of it as well. Um, so no, there was no real understanding of what it was. So I was just, at school, it was just, who's oh, a dreamer? He's lazy. That's right. how I was labeled. I was labeled yeah. as lazy and a dreamer. Um, you know, and I'm actually, I mean, dreamer perhaps, but you know, I'm not lazy in the slightest, but I don't do things that don't interest me. And I have no willingness to participate in things that don't interest me. So I guess that's where the laziness thing came from. But it was, you know, it's not till quite late in life that I've actually, it's funny enough, like, <laughs> it was actually Terry White, the previous editor of Empire. She just said to me one day, and I said, well, you know, I can be quite lazy. And she just went, you are not lazy. And it took someone external to say that to me, to make me believe it. In the same way that, you know, intelligence is an interesting thing. Like, I never thought of myself as being particularly bright at all, you know, because I didn't do very well in school. Like, my my grades were always low during term time, then I do very well in exams. Mm. So I got through my GCSEs, I got through my A-levels, I got to one degree, but all of my assessments during term time were very, very poor because I wasn't learning anything because I couldn't pay attention. Right. And it took someone when I was older to say something about, oh, you know, you're intelligent. And I was like, am I? You know, because no one had ever told me that. Like, it's, mm. it's, just, it's a strange thing that as a child, you believe what's said to you, which is why I think it's very important, you know, if, if parents have children, like, you know, you may think your child is sensitive. You may think your child is lazy, but don't label them because they carry these labels into adulthood and it's not good. Yeah. And it takes them a long time to shake these things off. Like I often use this thing where we, like as children, we, we don't have what we have as adults, which are these filters. And all information that comes in is filtered through this sort of board, this, this, this sort of screening mechanism that you have. And you, as, depending on who you are, you evaluate the information you're given. You think, is this true? Is it not true? If it's true, you accept it as fact and you take it into yourself. If it's not, you reject it. Children mm. just absorb everything like a sponge. Mm. But as an adult, you don't reevaluate the information you already have. So if you're told something as a child, it goes past these screens that you don't have and it becomes a part of you. And as an as an adult, it takes someone to pull that out of you so you can reassess it. Mm. And this this goes for identity, it goes for you know self-perception, but it also goes for really basic things. Like, and I use this example. So I first saw Star Wars as a child. It was the only film I owned on VHS. And there's a bit where Obi-Wan Kenobi says it's like millions of voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Mm. Lovely line. Mm. As a child, I misheard it as millions of oysters cried out in terror <laughs> and were suddenly silenced, which objectively makes no fucking sense. <laughs> however, however, because I'd heard it as a child, it never occurred to me to question that. Yeah. And I remember once being in the Empire office and actually saying, Do you know, that line makes absolutely no sense because oysters don't even have vocal cords. And everyone just looked at me. And then I heard myself say it and I went, uh, <laughs> and it took me literally to, to say it out loud to then reevaluate that information and say, oh, as an adult, that's clearly nonsense. George Lucas's screenwriting may have been a bit ropey at times, but it's not that ridiculous. And I think it's the same with, with self-perception and it's the same with identity that, you know, you're told these things and you just believe them. And then it takes someone to draw it out of you and make you reevaluate it to think, oh God, you know, actually I'm not lazy at all. I don't know why I ever thought that. Mm. Um, it's, I find it interesting how the mind works. So. No, it is. It's, yeah. And it, what a wonderful thing for, for Terry White to do, to say that. And often it, it's often those the smallest things that, that people say. And you almost don't you don't realize that you perhaps had a complex about it until someone like diminishes it for you. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, it's gone. You know, it's gone. Um, That's vanished. It's no longer a part of me. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I think as as much as we take it through, um, you know, we, we soak it up when we're a kid as well. I think if you're told things enough as an adult as well, you do start to believe it. You know, if, if people tell you you're not good at your job or you're rubbish at this or you're rubbish at that, even if you're 25, you're still going to start to believe it, you mm -hmm. know? And it's, it's, it's really important. This is, you know, part of the reason why I'm, I'm trying to start with an uncomfortable compliment, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so important to, to try and get rid of the little voice in your head going, you're, you're, you know, Oh, James, you're, you're not that smart. You're not that smart. You know, or Sandy, you're not yeah. you're not that good at this. You know, why are you trying to? You know, but it's just doubt. It's just self self doubt and self worth um, that that creeps up. And if you can get validation from someone external, it 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 
it's like the opposite of the there's mm. have you do you know the the negativity confirmation bias so you read you read a hundred comments saying you're brilliant yeah. and then you read one saying you're shit and you that's the only one you focus on it's like it's like the opposite of that you know Hey, do you read your iTunes reviews? Like literally, because I, I, so interestingly, we approach these in different ways. So Chris Hewitt, who I do the Empire podcast with, is not one for that. Like he, he suffers from negativity confirmation a lot. Where oh, no. like if a negative review will really bother him. Like it really right. stays with him, and it, it, it bugs him. Whereas I kind of take the opposite approach, and I have all the all the reviews, literally all of them, emailed to me. So I have to read all of them. Whoa. And frankly, some of them are quite abusive. Like there was one actually which landed this week, and it must have been about three hundred words, and it was just one guy slagging me personally off <laughs> and i was just like you know this is quite a lot you know cheers for this but you know he clearly took the time to write it and i appreciate that um and and i think it used to bother me a lot more than it does now i think now and look, i won't say it doesn't bother me at all but i kind of think it's important to read it because frankly i don't know how to make the show better pilot in particular i don't know how to make it better unless i'm listening to feedback so i kind right. of think i owe it to the audience to read their reviews so that I know what it is they like and they don't like. I don't want to operate in this kind of solipsistic bubble where it's just my own projection of self, mm. you know? Um, but yeah, you know, it, it does sit with you and you're right. You can read a thousand sort of positive things and just think, oh, you know, that person just thought this, or I was on a good day, or oh, it's because the yeah. guest was really good that week, or the show we reviewed was really good. And then someone says, you know what, James is really like full of himself and annoying. And I'm like, oh my God, it really is me. I'm, it's, it's, the show is all about <laughs> me. It's just me projecting my own ego and oh my God, I'm awful. I'm the worst person alive. And yeah. it's very easy to spiral into that. And you have to kind of go, no, enough people listen to this fucking thing that there must be something good about it. So, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I don't. I don't go near it. And I think it's because, again, what I was saying earlier about awareness. I'm. I'm aware enough of myself that I'm like I'm too sensitive mm. for it. I can't. <laughs> I'll, I'll just. I'll just go into shutdown completely, and mm. it'll. I, I just. I just try not to make room for it now. You know. Uh, but e yeah. equally, but you know, I understand with you. You know, your one is is perhaps slightly more of a business than me. But I'm talking about just in general in in my life in general. You know, any kind of feed. Oh, if there's an option where I can not see feedback, I'll like, yeah, I don't want to see it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even, even if it's great, because like you said, mm -hmm. it, and, and you, you said it brilliantly there, even if it's great, I'll still pick holes in it. I'll still be yeah. like, no, it was who I was with that day. Or, you know, it was, it was, it was yeah, can't have been me, can't have been me. You know, it, it's interesting how people approach these things differently. I'm a big one for self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, if therapy gives you that i find it very useful uh but but just being able to reflect on your own behavior mm. and know how your mind works and why it does the things it does mm. and i think you know growth sometimes requires holding up that mirror and confronting uncomfortable aspects of your own personality and your own behavior and i think it's important to you know to audit what you do and why you do it and actually reflect on that sometimes like you know like when we do the podcast like you know I, I i am aware that some of the things i do that are irritating you know i still do them that doesn't mean i'm not aware that they're irritating mm. you know I, I and sometimes you know when terry's like oh god you're so fucking smug i'm like yes that is true i am slightly smug that is part of my personality <laughs> however i'm choosing not to change that yeah um because you know it's 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 part of the show and it was it was part of our dynamic but uh but yeah i i think there's something to be said for that and i think you know like you, you mentioned this at the beginning it it seems to be it's not an exclusively male problem but i think men in particular are often reluctant to confront truths about themselves to look at emotions because we're all emotional beings like we respond to things emotionally first and foremost intellectually mm. possibly second but it's always emotionally and and, mm. and men don't seem to like to talk about those things or to audit those things um and i think that's a really important part of uh you know what what our society needs to do going forward i think i think mm. men in particular need to become more comfortable with what emotions are how they label them how they identify them and that's essentially emotional intelligence the ability mm. to identify what other people are feeling and empathize with them and to label and identify your own emotions yeah and see you know where they're coming from what they are and where they're leading you and whether or not that's a good place yeah um and i just think maybe that's a conversation that, that needs having more yeah absolutely and then on top of that if you realize it is going to a bad place figuring out the mechanisms to work on how to not go to that place you know yeah. like, like i said as as uh, as simple as it is it's the one i said you know with with my one of the biggest things i've realized is like without making myself sound perfect i, I like to think i'm quite a good bloke and i'm not that much of an arsehole i don't 
comment on people's stuff online or anything like that. I very much like to, I suppose, stay in my lane in a way. I'm like, I just, I try and focus mm. on what's in front of me. But I think where a lot of my flaws are is my like self-worth and things. So for me, it's like my anxiety and me feeling low. And then for me, it's been examining that. But again, maybe maybe that's me going. I think I'm a good bloke, but other people are like, "No, nah, he's not." You know, so it, but, who knows? You know, it's it's difficult. No, I think you're absolutely right. But everyone, you know, everyone gets anxiety in to greater or lesser extent. Sometimes yeah. it's very around a very specific thing. Mm. Sometimes it can be, uh, you know, a generalized thing. Like one of the difficulties I often have is is writing. Weirdly, as a writer, uh, because the thing with ADHD is you, you can't always focus, and when you mm. write, you have to focus. So I have to give myself my how I cope with this. It's like if I have a piece that's due on Friday, I start it on Monday. Because if I start it on Monday, then I have four days where my brain can refuse to cooperate. And I right. only need it to work on one of them. Okay. And if it doesn't work on the other three, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> but I know that it will work, or at least I hope it will work on one of them. The odds are in my favor, I suppose, yeah. is what I'm saying. Whereas, you know, and I, I generally turn down... Uh, writing tasks when there's a really tight turnaround. And my whole point is because I genuinely don't know whether I'll be able to do it at any point during that time period. Because if my brain decides not to cooperate, we've got a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I need to factor in the the daydreaming and the faffing and the walking around and the making tea and the eating chocolate and doing all the many things I will do to procrastinate. So I, cause I can't quite focus on, and then, and then all it will take is, and then suddenly my brain will go snap and I'm like, Oh, now I can do it. And I'll just, and the copy will flow. But there's no way I was, I, I kind of, I've likened it to like having an old motorbike, like an old triumph bike in your garden. Like you can get mm. on it. You might want to go for a ride. You don't know whether it's going to start from one day to the next. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just got to keep kicking on it and hoping for the best. Uh, and sometimes it can be a bit like that. But, but if it does start, it'll take you all the way to the other end of the country kind of thing. Indeed. There's quite, there's a certain, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking shit, but it seems like there's a certain purity in that to me is because <laughs> I think so many people go through go through um work days or something like that kind of in the gray of that a little bit where they're like yeah i'm at work and i might do this and then i might you know go do some online shopping and then i might check instagram and then i might do this and actually <laughs> they then get to the end of a day and they haven't even really done anything but at least you get to the end of say a week and you're like i have achieved and you get that sense of right i'm handing it in and i've done that and whereas I think sometimes a lot of people they they don't even get the achievement sense because you you've appropriately you know figured it out in yourself. This is my process, but a lot of other people I feel don't. They just keep going along, yeah, in in the grey for lack of a lack of a better term. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and I think you know different people approach uh, writing different. Dorothy Parker once wrote, uh, "I hate writing. I love having written," and that's very <laughs> much how I feel about it. Like I, I I the actual act of writing I find just excruciating but i love looking at the thing that i've then created oh that's good i like that how on earth did i do that and i do this you know you, talk, you know people talk about imposter syndrome i would genuinely look back sometimes on things i've written i think i can't have written that how did i write that i couldn't mm. do that again i couldn't repeat it you know yeah but, but of course i probably could i did it once surely i should be able to yeah. do it again it's logical but i look back and i think i genuinely don't know where that came from that's weird I mean, talking of imposter syndrome, that was one of the big things I wanted to, to talk to you about, given, you know, obviously starting out and, and first of all, the imposter syndrome of, holy shit, I'm 24 and I've got my dream job. What do I do now? <laughs> but then added added on to that all the accreditation you've had since, you know, starting the podcast, that being an enormous success, interviewing all these huge stars on stage in front of hundreds of people and, and all this stuff. Has, has that ever um, become a real bother to you or... Correct me, I, I'm, I could be barking completely up the wrong tree. Part of me wonders: does does your ADHD almost help that a little bit? Because you're like, now nah, I'm in hyper focus mode. Now I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm sat next to uh, Henry Cavill or whatever on stage in front of people. Or I'm doing this. I'm talking. I'm in right focus, focus mode here. Or, or does that kind of creepy moment go? What the fuck am I doing here? Oh, no, that happens all the time. Imposter syndrome, <laughs> the best thing about imposter syndrome is it never, ever goes away. It's your friend for life. Right. Uh, I've been doing this 22 years, and I still wake up some days and go, I can't do this. Wow. It's something really basic. I can't do it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it happens all the time, you know, and and ADHD affects all sorts of things. Like so interviews and whatnot. Yep. You know, the thing with ADHD is sometimes it can uh, it can affect memory a little bit. Like you just can't remember something you should remember. I mean, that happens to everyone. But I think with ADHD, it's it's quite typical. So in an interview, you run out of things to ask. 
that's not good. Like if your brain goes blank in an interview, mm. that's a bit of a problem. Uh, and then, you know, add to that a little bit of social anxiety where awkward conversations make you feel a bit cringe to begin with. And yeah. that's a perfect storm for massive anxiety before an interview. But again, it's coping mechanisms. It's finding what works for you. Like uh, there are quite a few ADHD podcasts and stuff out there, but a lot of them say there's no one size fits all fix because it's so individual. You just have to mm. find out what works for you. Like little things I have, I have an app called Due, D-U-E, and it's a just basic reminder app on my phone but what it does is it nags so it won't just remind you once it will keep fucking reminding you until you tell it you've done the thing and it's like you're fine all right yes fine i'll go and i'll buy some bread jesus christ leave me alone but i need that because in between you know i'll get the reminder but think oh yeah i must do that instantly forgotten it and i'm doing something else you know and i need it to one minute later go that thing i just reminded you of it's still oh yeah all right fine i'll do it now you know so that that helps me and when i do interviews my my sort of process for that is i will write out all of the questions in full mm. learn questions in full have them on my lap and then not look at them because i have them there in case my brain stops working and i need them mm. so it's there this, that's my safety net it's there yeah, but hopefully i just won't need them and 90 percent of the time i don't and it'll just be a conversation it'll go really well but i'll still do tons of prep to make sure that i have enough that it's unlikely that I'm going to get caught out because again, it, it stresses me out. Yeah. So yeah, you know, like I said, I've been doing this a very long time and I, I still get, I still get nervous. All of us do, you know, when we do a live podcast, it is a bit nerve wracking yeah. when you go up there and do it. Um, but once you get into it, I think it, you know, the, the nerves gradually sort of like disappear, like they're fine. Um, and doing the podcast again, like it's, again, we, we have different ways of doing it. I use scripts a lot for pilot in a way that we don't on empire. Empire is very free form. Chris is mm. incredibly talented, like, uh, as an uh, uh, extemporaneous speaker, he just makes it up as he goes along, mm. doesn't write a script, just wings it. And he's great at that. Mm. I struggle to do that because again, like sometimes it will work for me and sometimes it won't. So a lot of the times I like to have a script and work off a script or at least have the script there in case I need it mm. so that I don't have that minute where I just go into full panic mode and be like, Oh God, I can't speak. What am I supposed to be doing here? You know, you, you, you try and avoid that. But yeah, like, I mean, imposter syndrome is, is, is a way of life. I think everyone gets it. I've interviewed yeah. so many big stars who still get it mm -hmm. uh, and still get massive nerves on their first day on a new film or TV show and whatnot. It's uh, I think it, it plagues everyone. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid of it. No, absolutely. I've I've kind of started re reckoning with imposter syndrome a little bit. And actually, sometimes I almost view it as a little bit of a positive because I'm like, if you're feeling imposter syndrome, it means you're doing something successful, it means you're doing something good. Yeah. You yeah. know, if, if you're feeling nervous because you're, for example, you, yeah, you're, you're sitting on stage with a movie star in front of 200 people. That's really cool. That's awesome. You're doing <laughs> you're doing something great, you know, so it's but it's I've always found I, I get some sometimes I get really anxious, like before I travel somewhere um and i i get very nervous and i go to the toilet loads and i'm like oh what we're gonna do but then the minute i get in the car i'm like oh fine i'm fine yeah it, it, it's often the overthinking before you actually get to do the thing and, as, and like you said as soon as you mm. get to the thing you sit there you're like all oh, right and especially if you've got experience of doing it before you know and unless it's yeah. gone horribly wrong in the past and then that's a whole different thing because that's trauma essentially well you know yes um <laughs> we always we talk about this in the office like there's there's nothing better there's no better feeling than when an interview's gone really well yeah. and there's no worse feeling than one has absolutely died on its ass like those are excruciating and the amount of times me or chris or helen or nick or anything we've called the others and like, oh my god i just did a nightmare interview and you have to kind of have a, a, an impromptu therapy session just to kind of just clear the air it's like oh my god this is going to be my whole night i'm not gonna sleep tonight i'm gonna be stressed about this for like a day because it was just such a nightmare uh yeah that's that's not fun yeah i can imagine that's quite quite stressful and as you said it's like you've obviously got a passion about it as well because it, it's it, but also like it's work you know so it's mm. it's like double it's double pressure because you want to do it well <laughs> you know especially if you're sitting with someone who you know you admire their work or you've just seen a film that they're in that you loved or something like that um yeah, it must be it must be difficult. Um, one thing I also wanted to get onto, and 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 actually one one of the biggest things is is kind of and we've touched on it uh, uh, briefly is that the power of kind of film and and TV in a form of escapism kind of therapy way. Um, for me, it's it, it it's completely my my escape, and obviously for you it's slightly different because it's also career oriented. For me, it's not at all. So it is complete mm. escapism. For example, hour and a half last night, watched the first episode of The Last of Us. I didn't play the game. So it's just completely new. And I put my phone down for an hour and a half and my girlfriend was sort of dipping in and out. She's not as into it as me. 
um, you know, in just fil- film and TV. But if it's engrossing, she'll suddenly sort of perk up and the phone gets put down and she's like, oh, right. And, and, and gets into it. And, you know, from uh, I, I watched C on your recommendation. I watched, <laughs> I watched it. I watched it for nine solid hours on my iPad on a plane to Brazil in November. Good work. I watched the whole of season two on a plane, the whole thing, the whole thing. Um, and was obsessed with it and told all my friends about it. Now all my friends are watching it and I feel very pleased. So I'll thank, I'll thank you in advance for that. Yeah. I've got mates messaging me about how cool the Travantian cities look, which is pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Um, but for, for me that, that has been escape and especially at my lowest point, you know, things like even, yeah, for some reason, and it's not even that good a film Aquaman. Like I go to watch Aquaman. In, in 2018 at the cinema, and I went by myself. I go to cinema by myself a lot. People think that's weird. I don't think it's weird. No, no it's um, perfectly normal. Yeah, I, I, I went by myself to watch it. And, and just for that two and a half hours, uh, without going too deep, like I forgot that I wanted to kill myself. You know, I had those two and a half hours, and I was like, cool, a, a drumming octopus, and now it's Jason Momoa, and oh, sweet. <laughs> um, and, 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 and all this. And, and then I kind of come out, and then kind of even for the rest of the day, I'm still like, oh, yeah. You know, and and yeah. and I'm not saying it's you know putting it off as well isn't a good thing. I'm not saying that's what it does, but it does just let you get away for a little bit, in the same way that playing a sport does, or or anything like that. Um, and you know, and and then also the the representation you get on screen of if you know someone else. The, the one I always talk about in the podcast is Thor in Endgame, and him when when he does that and put for anyone listening, I'm putting my <laughs> arm out like I'm trying to catch me on there. He he puts his arm out. And he closes his eyes like this and he's like, mm, and you hear it, mm, and it mm, into his hands and he's, he's crying and he's like, I'm still worthy. That yeah. hit me like a ton of bricks in the cinema as a man who has always been trying for years to be as ripped as his friends to see Thor there and, you know, with a bit of a tummy and, and all this. And he's like, I'm still worthy, even though he's gone through all these mental health issues and, and all this, mm. like it completely killed me. Um, so yeah. And I, you mentioned that. Because yeah. that is obviously quite a divisive part of that film. It is. And like we've had this conversation in the office. Certain people in the office think it's unnecessary. It's a fat joke. Like it's fat, it's body shaming. It's awful. And like I've always approached it much the same way you did. Like it's like, yes, it, it is all of those things if you want to see it on face value. But for me, it is a study of self-esteem, self-worth, mm-hmm. and mental health. Like yeah. he is at that point a person in mental health in, in kind of mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. And people do, you know, resort to you know, unhealthy, unreasonable. He's eating his feelings, you know, he's not looking after himself, he's doing all of these things. And it wasn't, yes, there is a certain amount of gag, everyone calling him Lebowski, you know, yes, th- there is. Jeez whiz. <laughs> there are, yeah, there are fat jokes in there. There are 100% are fat jokes in there. But at its at its core, it's exactly as you say, it, it is, a, is a man who has been dealing with, you know, depression, huge amounts of anxiety, massive survivor's guilt, yeah, uh, all of these sort of things. And it's caused him to essentially retreat from the world and escape escape into essentially playing Fortnite online, uh, which, you know, we can all identify with, although with me it was World of Warcraft. Um, you know, and I, I found that really interesting. And, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, look, I felt seen or anything, but like, it spoke to me. I really got that yeah. in the same way that you did. And it, I, I really like that sequence. And I enjoy, you know, dad bod Thor, or whatever you want to call him. Yeah, well, I the the big and, and and that scene, you know, in particular, and just that that whole um, bit where they go back to Asgard, that that really just like got me in every way. But then, especially at the end as well, when he's like, "Right, I'm gonna, you know, take Thanos on again," and he shoots the lightning and all this, and he doesn't suddenly have a six pack again. He's still yeah. fat. He's still yeah. fat. I mean, they did away with it in Love and Thunder, which I don't want to fucking talk about. Sure, but, you know, he he, <laughs> he, he um. He he's still fat and but he's still an absolute machine. He hasn't lost any of it, which is why I wonder some of the people going, Oh, it's fat shaming and stuff. I'm like, you, you do realize an hour later he he's still fat and he's still destroying everyone. Like it, if anything, <laughs> it's the opposite. But I I mean I don't necessarily get into that. But that that also sure. really spoke to me as well. I was like, ah, oh, you know, he's still struggling at that point as well. He's not fixed. But he's like, I'm going to kind of do do what I what I need to do. And I appreciate some people listening to this may be like, oh, for fuck's sake, it's a Marvel movie. Shut up. But I was like, it it, it was kind of that little bit of sort of mental health representation on the biggest stage in the world that we have, mm. you know, and and um, that that I'm not saying I left the cinema and thought about it every night for the next few months and it completely fixed me. But for that moment in the cinema, I was like, cool. And, and Thor is my favorite as well. I'll, I'll say it, um, you know, yeah. and, and I'm like. 
the fact that he's, you know, going through this as well. I was like, this is cool. And I imagine there's also a lot of people out there that will have that. And that will also have had it from various other film and film and TV they've they've watched. Um, how do you do you ever find yourself relating to things like that, given the way that you've got to look at things a little more analytically, I suppose? So um, you say work. that, but I don't. And <laughs> this is why <laughs> I mean, look, genuinely, this is why I'm not I, I don't think I'm a natural reviewer like so i'm a film journalist i would say first and foremost i never really call myself a film critic right it's obviously that's part of the job but it's never a part that i've massively enjoyed the act of reviewing partly because it can be inherently destructive and i'm not sure that yeah. that's necessarily the best you know you're taking something that a lot of people spend a lot of time on and then you're potentially kicking the shit out of it that's yeah that's, there's some schadenfreude there but it's not a particularly admirable thing to do but i think more from my point of view is that's not the way i like to watch things and yeah. Different people watch things in different way, as I have discovered from the many people that I've worked with. Like a lot of film critics do watch things, as you say, analytically, objectively, they sit apart from it. And when you are going into a film, we have a thing in Empire where it's, you know, Terry actually was the one who used to articulate this best. She used to say, oh, am I watching this or am I watching it for review? And that was a crucial distinction. If she'd watched it not for review and then was asked to review it, she would need to see it again. She need to watch it for review. Mm. And to do that, you have to set apart from it. You have to potentially take notes but you do have to look at it in a different way and for me that ruins a film so mm. someone asked me to review a marvel movie no star wars no because i need to experience those films and all mm. the joy of watching those films as an audience and it's because what i don't want like to do is sit back and let the film come at me like that that is not how i like to watch it i like to project yeah. myself into the narrative i'm in the film and i've kind of i've talked about this a lot with people like this idea that that when I watch films, I project myself into it so much so that there's almost no barrier between where you end and the film begins or the TV show begins. You become a part of it. So if it's traumatic emotionally, you know, you live that and you come out of it mm. feeling like that's what you've been through. Mm. And it's grueling, which is why I'm quite funny about certain films and shows that I will and won't watch. Like again, Terry how likes the kind of escapism where she likes grim you know, mm. depressing working class dramas and stuff like that. And weirdly, and she and I have talked about this and she won't mind me saying it, if you've read her memoir, you know, Terry's been through a lot in her life. Mm. And I think parts of that is she looks at really depressing things about abuse and it normalizes her own past in a way yeah. that she can relate to it. And she quite enjoys seeing that. Mm. Whereas for me that I get traumatized by it. I can't yeah. deal with it. Like it'll ruin my whole day. Like I remember coming out of watching uh, The Mist, you know, Frank Darabont's The Mist. Love it. The story and i i wandered the streets for maybe six hours after that unable to speak to anyone or function because it just the effect it had on me was devastating yeah to be fair I mean, that's what it did to everyone who saw it but i'm not special in that regard but i suppose before i started going off on a tangent i guess what i'm saying is so so when i watch things i like to project myself into them i like to become a part of the narrative which is why i gravitate towards speculative fiction i like fancy i like science yeah. fiction i like everything like that where you know i can be in a world that's as distinct from this one as it possibly can be it mm. takes me out of you know the current shit show with every, well look around everything you know yeah. i need to go somewhere else. so stuff like game of thrones stuff like c you know it feels distinct from that mm. and i think every single person needs an escape valve for some people it's drugs for some people it's alcohol mm. you know for me it's fiction and it always has been you know i don't do drugs i don't really drink much but i watch a fuck ton of tv <laughs> and like when i've gone through particularly difficult periods in my life like i've uh, at one point you know i went through a very bad breakup i was like i'm gonna rewatch game of thrones do you know what I mean? and and yeah. For me, I was like, brilliant. I've got fucking eight years of this. I can just plow through it. And I will be in Westeros for the next however many weeks it takes me to do this. And during that time, I will not have to deal with my shit here. I can just watch that. Deal and I find shit. it incredibly therapeutic. Deal with their shit, 100%. Yeah. And I think having a valve like that, especially a valve that doesn't, you know, <clears throat> increase your cholesterol or give you an addiction or damage mm. your liver, you know, all it does is damage my eyesight. And I'll take that. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's re that's really interesting. You say that, and and you know, like especially what you said about Terry. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, Terry uh, released a book. I've I've not read it. Terry was the was the editor of of Empire, and she released a, a memoir about um her experiences with abuse uh, as a yes. kid. And I, I believe I believe it's now being turned into a, a TV show or a film. Indeed, um, coming undone uh, is the name of the book, and it's going to be on Netflix. And Billy Piper is playing Terry, so that's exciting. That's going to be really cool. Um. But yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that she obviously gravitates towards things, as you said. It it normalizes her experience, but it, at the same time, that can't be said necessarily for you because you've never ridden a dragon, James. 
so, that you know of. <laughs> I know of. And if you have, please, please, can I come? I have, I have Drogon. <laughs> I have Drogon on my desk right here. Oh, very good. So, Love him. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think I'm, I'm definitely in your camp. Um, and I, I'm, you know, fortunately enough to say potentially that's because, you know, beyond my parents splitting up and a couple of bad, you know, breakups and stuff, I've not necessarily been through the things. So perhaps I don't relate to. Um, those things so sometimes I do find those stories quite jarring you know like mm. I watched Requiem for a Dream once and I was like cool never doing that again um, <laughs> interestingly The Mist uh, I remember listening to the soundtrack I quite like soundtracks and I, I remember it was a particularly misty day in Scotland and I was driving home and I was like I know exactly what song I need for this and I put the it's called like <laughs> The Ghosts of Seraphim or something like that and I put that on and as I was driving and it was quite a cool experience um, but yeah I wasn't worried about Thomas Jane shooting me or anything Fair. Um, but it, I, I think it's interesting that people do find themselves going to other worlds mm. and, and taking themselves away. And I don't think it's necessarily to do with this one being a bit of a bin fire, because there have been stages in history where it hasn't been as much of a bin fire here. And, you know, let's face it, people, you know, there's people from all different walks of life and some people are struggling more than others. Yeah. Everyone still goes to watch Avatar too, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting why people do sort of continue to gravitate towards this weird and wonderful, whether it is Avatar or, or June or, or Star Wars or, or any, you know, any of these kind of fictional things, um, why people go, go towards them, even though we're not all necessarily struggling and, and looking at it. And I find it, Again, it's not even necessarily down to representation, isn't it? But I find for me, it, you, you find one thing to resonate with a world. And I often do this when I'm sitting down and I'm like, right, what do I want to watch? And the first question I go is like, what what world do I want to be in? I'm like, mm. do I like recently at the moment, it, it's kind of a toss up of do I watch Mad Max Fury Road, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home? Um what was the other one? I watched June the other week, so it's not that. So yeah, probably probably the two of those, or for some reason, whatever reason, the last Harry Potter film. And I'm it's kind of jumping between them, and I'm like, which world do I want to be in? And sometimes I'll mm. watch five minutes of one, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to be in this world, and I'll go out of it, and then I might end up just putting the office on, and I'm like, this is the world I want to be in. Yeah, you know, even though that's not necessarily a completely different one. Um, no, it's true, but it is heightened, and I think weirdly, the TV is often more valuable than films in this regard because you can spend more time in those worlds yeah. like you know unless it's part of a series a film gives you a finite amount of escapism mm. whereas as i said like game of thrones i knew i had eight seasons of this like it, like this was going to keep me going for a while uh another you know difficult time went through it was Battlestar Galactica again. Obviously, these are all rewatches because they're stuff that I've seen before. You know, and it's like I would set a menu of things. Right, I'm going to go to this place, and then I'm going to then finish Battlestar Galactica, and then my West Wing, which is always my go-to. I kind of that's normally on a simmer. I have I'm always right. I'm always in a West Wing rewatch at all times. It's just a question of <laughs> where I am at any given point. At yeah, the moment, yeah. I'm in season two, but like it, like I'm always at a point where I'm sort yeah. of watching the West Wing. Uh, and that takes me to to a very happy place. But I think that you know it's really good to to have your happy places and mm. to know that you know if you are in a period of crisis or mental health crisis or you you know you're upset something bad happens that you have a way of coping with it. And I'm not sure that you know a bottle of Jack Daniels is necessarily the best way of doing that. But if you've got a friend's box set or an office box set, you know absolutely that should be your go to. Yeah. And then hopefully by the time you've got through that and you've got through the next thing afterwards, you feel a little bit better and you know you can face the world. You can get out from underneath that duvet. You can go out and and do things again yeah uh so i think you know film tv books you know all of these narrative things uh they can have a very sort of healing effect on people yeah absolutely i i set myself a challenge of an of, of reading a lot more this year and it's very easy for me given that i'm in the kind of mental health echo chamber with with this <laughs> podcast and, and on instagram as well and things and i see just endless almost verging on like hustle porn you know, guys like you should be reading the four hour work week, atomic habits, and you should be doing 10,000 steps and you should be doing this and this and this. And then I actually got to the point I was on audible at the start of the year. And I went, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start reading the Warhammer 40,000 books. I'm going to do it. Yes. And, the and black I went, library. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've just read uh, and I'm, I've got 38 minutes left of the first Gaunt's ghost book. And is, I is am, that Dan Abnett? Is Dan, Dan Abnett. Abnett. Yeah, Dan Abnett. Yeah, yeah. Dan Abnett. And I am 
absolutely obsessed with it. I've been on the Warhammer 40k wiki <laughs> just reading about the universe. Me and my friend, me and my friend watched a 20-minute video on YouTube the other day explaining every faction. I did collect it as a kid, yeah. I will say. I had a small tout on. So did I. Yeah. But um I um but now reading this and I'm like, I am getting so much more joy, satisfaction, and potentially even like productivity out of reading this than reading the fucking four hour work week or anything like that because yeah. i read that and whether it's i'm walking to the shop whether it's me walking to i, I, I train a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu whether it's walking to jiu-jitsu and back or, or anything even just sometimes i put it around the house while i'm washing up i then finish that and i feel more um encouraged and motivated to be like cool now now i've listened to a bit of my story now i'm going to go sit and do some work you know rather yeah. whereas i feel like sometimes if i listen to how to make your life better, um, which is very ironic considering I do a podcast about trying to make your life better, but I should probably be probably be promoting this a bit more. But, you know, I, I listen to a remarkably small amount of self-help as someone who's yeah. doing what I suppose I would say is a self-help. I find far more value in listening to a, a, a book, you know, or, or you guys ramble on about, you know, Avatar 2 and Talking Whales and, and stuff like that. I find that just as um, fulfilling as as listening to to self-help and it's yeah i suppose yeah isn't something something interesting there i think no but i think almost better for you i think the problem with self-help often is you you know you're reading self-help but all you're taking away from it is all the things you're not doing all the yeah. ways you're failing and actually it can be damaging to your self-esteem and your mental health well actually mm. something that makes you feel good about yourself you know read about fucking space marines absolutely do that you know if you sit down oh i memorized all of the various chapters and the, and the credos of the Asteptus custodies it's like do you know what do that shit and yeah. i've done exactly the same thing i actually weirdly when i i, I very 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 strongly remember this when i was in amsterdam in 2000 and i want to say eight for the first avatar movie i was interviewing james cameron and the cast of it there and i was doing the same thing i was reading all the warhammer 40,000 stuff on wikipedia because i'd liked it as a kid and i remember the really loving the world building and then yeah. i discovered the you know the, the rabbit warren of information on wikipedia about all the different chapters and the eldar and all. i was like yes give me all of this stuff uh and i and boyd talks about this on pilot a lot where he never understands how I can never remember who actors' names are, but I can tell you the law behind everything. Yeah, and I said because that's where I live. Like, I love the world building. I love the law. I love all that stuff. I get really into all the nerdy shit. But that's not him. That's not how he approaches it, and that's fine. But we have our different. You know, we get off on different stops, and I think uh, you know it takes all sorts. But it work. It works for me. Well, like you said, you throw yourself into the narrative, so you suddenly, yeah. you know, you 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 don't see Matt Smith. You see Damon Targaryen. Absolutely, you know, 100%. And, and, yeah. and you're seeing that and, and 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 things like that, even though you kind of know it's Matt Smith and you're like... Oh, but not while I'm watching it, I don't. Not while I'm watching yeah. When I'm watching it, he is just Damon Targaryen and that is all there is to it. Yeah. And it, and when I reflect on performances, I have to do that after the fact because at the time it will be lost on me. Because yeah. at the time I'm in Westeros. like I'm not sitting on my sofa. Like That's where I am. And so afterwards I can stop and I can take a minute and I can kind of think about it. But, you know what we often do like as empire we're going to see films together you know we'll come out afterwards and we'll chat about them and sometimes i need a le i need a while like i need to decompress because i'm still there and i need to come back and yeah. i haven't yet come back to earth i'm still wherever i was especially something like avatar where you're there for quite a while and it's very transportational like, i didn't want to talk about that when it first came out i was just like no no i just need a few minutes to yeah you know center myself and come back to earth from pandora uh it, it takes a little while i find i find yeah i found more recently um, I don't know whether it's me getting older or anything, because as I said, I've been reading Empire for years and, and listening to you guys for, you know, th three or four years now, four years now. Um, so it's not like I've never been analytical about films before, but I'm finding it's like films I wouldn't necessarily have thought about that I then, it, it's almost like I need to take that that night, go to bed, wake up the next day, maybe listen to a bit of the soundtrack and then kind of figure it out for example um the, the latest batman film that was it for me i i felt like i lived because i just listened to the soundtrack that soundtrack was insane the michael <laughs> giacchino one um I, I listened to that non-stop for like a month i think camp fight city halloween was like number four in my spotify for the year because i just and and it did kind of take me out of everything that was again one of my kind of coping mechanisms if i was feeling anxious or whatever i'm like cool i'll just go to gotham city not probably <laughs> quite an anxious place but i'm like yeah. i'll just go there for 10 minutes you know mm. um and and it whilst i'm a big fan of of batman and you know the nolan films and everything it, i went into it being like i'm really excited for this but it kind of hit me in an odd odd way and ended up really affecting me oddly enough wakanda forever was another film that really did that for me that ended up being maybe 
for some reason the whole Talokan thing and under, I don't know whether it's because as a century stupid as like a, a windsurfer and a surfer and things all mm. the kind of underwater stuff for it even though Avatar came out a month later and blew it out of the water literally but <laughs> just the the yeah when when he takes Shuri down and they're all doing this to each other and all this like I went to see it with my mum my mum loves Marvel films which I love um and and for the rest of the week, I was in Scotland seeing her. I walked downstairs, and the first thing we do to each other is make the kind of hand clam signal at each other. <laughs> and I we kind of took it's a really wholesome thing that I took away with. And now I know the minute I see her next time, she'll do it before I do it. She'll just go like that, you know. And it's that's really funny. It's those odd little things from films that, whilst I knew I would enjoy, I perhaps didn't necessarily think would leave a mark on me, and they've ended up leaving a mark on me to the point where I, you know, keep keep wanting to listen to the soundtrack or or, or things like that. But as with, I think, you know, like there were certain albums, certain songs that have an emotional resonance to you, depending mm. on when you first experienced it or when you most listened to it and you associate it with a with a mental state, with a feeling, with a period from your past. I think the same thing can be true of films like so many. And this is this is a very Empire thing. And this is this is something that's quite special about Empire is that like my friends from home who I've known like all my life, like they know me very well, but they don't get me in the way that the people right. at Empire do. And the reason for that is we communicate in film references like 80% of the time at Empire. Film and TV references. Like, me and Chris, like I mean, frankly, we could have a whole conversation just in Predator quotes. Like it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But there's something about that. And because these films, Predator's not just a film that is great, although it is a film that is great. It mm. is a film that was a seminal landmark in both of our childhood. So it it's rooted in our of very beings on a very fundamental emotional mm. level so it, it means something to us on so we it brings us joy to reference it mm. and i think those are the best films like so there can be a film that's objectively terrible nuns on the run don't ask me why i i, I love that film but it's just been when i saw it at that particular time in the state of mind that i was in it brought me this huge amount of joy so now even though if you were to look at it is it objectively that funny hmm, it doesn't matter like to me it's still hilarious because i still associate it with how i felt when i first saw it yeah uh, and i think that's true you know whether it be the you know the Jaquina soundtrack to the batman you know it'd be something like that like it roots itself it burrows into your kind of emotional state at the time and and i think you can conjure that up again every time you revisit it yeah absolutely i me and my friends communicate exactly the same way but it, it kind of goes in cycles so summer summer 2021 we all lived in greece for the summer we were all windsurfing and we all read june that summer <laughs> and then of course you can't drink the tap water in greece so we'd be there and we'd all be, you know, maybe a bit hungover in the morning. And I remember my girlfriend being like, can you go to the shop and get water? And we're like, oh, do you not have any left in your catch pockets and all this? And she's just like, oh, I'm so fed up of your shit now. And then it goes into and then it goes into Mad Max where we're doing we're doing a Morton Joe. And we're like, do not become addicted to water. And it just it just it just rolls around. And you, I just you just yeah. get so much joy from it. And you're like, I, yeah, without these amazing things on screen, you just I, I, I don't even know what I'd be saying half the time, you know? Yeah. It's um, shared experience, isn't it? They're common yeah. touchstones. They're things, and as, exactly as we started this podcast, it's things that bring people together. Yeah. That you love this thing, you're referencing this thing, and you immediately have a connection with someone. Mm. If they get it in the same way, I don't know if you've done it. Like if you see someone with a t-shirt and it's like a reference to something that you know and you love, you immediately feel a kinship with that person <laughs> because, yeah, you get them and they get you. If even if nothing else, on this one specific thing, you have that connection. And yeah. I think that's important. And I think, you know, it used to be considered a very male thing, but I don't think it's gender specific. That idea of defining yourself by the things you love. It's why teenagers have posters on their bedroom walls. It's why we all had, you know, well, for me, VHS back in the day, but then DVD collections, because I would define my own personality. Like it was like a bad, this is what I'm into. This is yeah. who I am. And this is all my stuff. Yeah, And I think, you know, now where we're all sort of streaming and it's all digital, there's less of that sort of physical curation. So maybe it is about, you know, it's just about the references you make to the things you love that are the sort of, the it's your brand, isn't it? It's your yeah. logo. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I love. This is me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, yeah. It's almost without getting too corporate. It's like personal branding, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Sandy and I'm currently reading loads of Warhammer 40k and I'm very happy to talk about that. Or, and, and I found it as well. And I suppose it's a struggle without getting too much into it because i know we're, we're getting towards the end but one of the you know what biggest things i struggled with was the reckoning of stopping being a kind of semi-professional windsurfer season air living abroad to then suddenly coming back to the uk and i went oh my identity's gone my identity mm -hmm. has gone so what what am i now and i think through that i found well my whole through line from the age of 13 to to now 
one of the cornerstones of my identity is I've always been known in the friendship group as oh, Sandy knows everything about films. Sandy knows everything about films and he'll he'll tell you every you know, Game of Thrones rider, he knows who Aegon the Conqueror's sisters were and which dragons they rode and, and all this stuff. So I'm like, it, it, so that kind of carried me through for a bit until I kind of found my new sort of identity of, no, I, I can still be the windsurfer, even though I'm in the UK. And then I, you know, find other interests and, and things like that. But that's really interesting. I think men do do that. We do tie ourselves to our interests and, and girls definitely don't do that. Women don't do that as much, I don't think. I, I wonder whether it's been yeah you know, I I wonder whether it, it's just been that society expects men to do it more and it was more acceptable for mm. men to have those kind of obsessions. I think maybe you know it's not so much a kind of an inherent gender thing as it is just like it's a gender role thing. Mm. I think that's what gets imposed upon people. I actually think we're a lot more alike all of us one way or the other if as long as we're allowed to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Christ, I I know as many. Uh, female geeks as I do male geeks mm. you know like I say everyone who works in my quality of the industry is defined by the stuff they love so yeah uh, I, I definitely don't think it's restricted to men no it's it uh, yeah it's wonderful to see it brought more into the mainstream I think I'd have been a lot more popular at school if uh if if <laughs> if it was like it like it is now you know I was I was a weirdo for uh liking liking the stuff I liked rather than liking football and stuff and now now that I've got this podcast I've got guys I went to school with messaging me about oh the, the last of us have you played the game and all this and I'm like hang on a minute hang on a minute yeah um anyway James that's a it seems like a wonderful place to wrap up that yeah nerd culture is everywhere and do not be ashamed to uh never absolutely not just just never never be ashamed for being passionate and knowledgeable about anything that's like one of the biggest mm. the biggest things I've I've learned in, in, in this kind of thing. You know, I used to be ashamed of when I was sort of 20, 21, I was like, people would say something and I'm like, I, I know the answer. To, I know the actor that was in this film or I can tell you which character they played. But I'm like, no, I shouldn't say it because people think I'm a nerd. And I realize now that's that's such a shame and it's so wrong. So um, yeah. and I, I imagine you very much echo that sentiment. Um, oh, hundred percent. You just have to find your tribe. I think like, yeah, with all wonderful. these things, you know, no matter what you're into, no matter what you love, there are other people out there into that stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, and <laughs> I suppose the, the internet has brought a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. But the one thing it does do is it connects people, uh, for better or worse. But hopefully, like if you can find your tribe, then you know maybe you'll find them online, maybe you will find them in real life. You know, there's or maybe you'll find them as I did in an office uh, for your job. But uh, yeah, they are out there. That's the dream. Um, James, where, if people want to uh, listen to you, obviously, you know I do, but um, if people want to get into it and hear hear a bit more of you um, and what you get up to, where where can people do that? Uh, you can find me every week on the Empire Film Podcast, uh, but you can more find me every week. So the Empire Film Podcast drops on Fridays, but you can find me every Monday on the Pilot TV Podcast, which I host, uh, which, you know, uh, I, I enjoy a great deal. So I, yeah. and frankly, there's a lot of TV out there, so you need the guidance. So come, come, let us guide you. And if you're unwilling to plug, I'll plug for you. They've got Pilot TV Plus out as well. So, um, yeah, <laughs> sub subscribe to that. I subscribed. I, I remember I was initially seething about the spoiler specials being put behind a paywall. And then I was like, hang on a minute. I don't drink coffee and this costs less than a coffee. So I'm just going to do it. And I've never looked yeah. back. Um, so, yeah, well, you know, highly recommend we, we put out more content. So, yes, Pilot Plus has has launched, but it's it's extra content rather than uh, the rather than payable system content, which is uh, which is if you have any questions about any of it, you can find me on social media at James C. Dyer. Yeah, perfect. Uh, guys, you can also follow me pretty much exclusively on Instagram at the After Hours Lounge. Um, if you like what I'm doing, you can head to the link in my bio. You can donate to the podcast um, or times are tough. Just give it a share. Put it in your story. Share the podcast with a friend if you think it may help. Uh, that is why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I will thank you in advance for doing that. Um, thank you very much, James, for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you guys for listening and we will see you for the next one.